Hello and welcome to the DM's Book Club, a podcast where we uh, read about some Dungeons and Dragons and discuss how we might include it in our role-playing campaigns. I can read my notes, but maybe maybe not this early in the morning. <laughs> I have to read that same line every time. My name is Fiona, I am one half of the DM's Book Club, but with me, as always, is my wonderful co-host, Ryan. Ryan, Hello. how are you? Yes. <laughs> I am good. I am very good. I am enjoying your intros as ever. It's, as it's as regular. It's what will Fiona do with the intro? It's as regular as you telling me about how everything is good at the end. You know, it's just... Oh, no, no spoilers. I, oh, I look forward to these things. It's good. Yes, I am great. How are you? I am good, thank you. I've been on holiday, although obviously you can never tell at these points, um, but I've been playing, because it came out yesterday, Resident Evil 8. And, Eight. Mm, oh, goodness. I, I remember playing four or five. Now, they're not sequential, are they? They don't release them in order, or do uh, they? i got to be honest, from what I understand, I'm not uh, an expert. Resident Evil has a very varied <laughs> history <laughs> of many, many different things. There's, there's an umbrella involved at some point. There's Chris Redfield. There's Leon, as we all know. Um, oh, is he the one from Four? Leon's the one from Four. Oh, yeah. he was my favourite. Leon! <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of, like, give me a picture, because Resident Evil goes mm. from super action, sequency, cool, to mm. utter dreading horror just survival like where on the scale is is eight so this has been very interesting because there's been lots of build-up for eight essentially it looks very resident evil 4 in the sense of it's set in eastern europe there are werewolves there are vampires there is an mm. incredible shot like i played it a bit yesterday there is a big castle you get to run around and there's a big nine foot tall uh, vampire lady who is pretty incredible but uh, it's, it's definitely more actiony i would say because you, you get lots of guns there's a there's a, a guy called the duke who says he has a cousin who says uh, what are you buying which i was like oh well that's a link to resident evil 4 so that's good <laughs> um how can i put it uh no no spoilers per se but there's a moment where you're in the catacombs being chased by this nine foot uh, lady vampire who has like talons a bit like uh, lady deathstrike from x-men and she, oh. just, she just um she just cuts off one of your arms and then you're sort of like well i don't have a gun <laughs> so you <laughs> you run around being chased by a nine foot vampire like, like holding your severed hand and then i was a bit like this is quite frightening <laughs> so, oh wow well yeah. that's supposed to happen like you can't avoid that it's supposed to happen and then you 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 find whatever you need to do and then no joke. Maybe it's just way, the way Capcom does things. You get your <laughs> severed hand, pop it back on, spray some water on it, look away for like two seconds, look back, and it sort of has healed itself because magic potions. <laughs> wow, it sounds like I missed out on some medical technology at some point. That sounds very D&D-esque. <laughs> it does sound very D&D-esque, but yeah, it was, it was a pretty amazing scene because you weren't expecting it. And then it was like, well, you're just running around. <laughs> holding on to because when you pick up things you know how in Resident Evil it sort of shows up it goes you've picked up Metacut it comes up you've picked up your severed hand I was like great this, <laughs> oh no so lovely so lovely. yes so that's what I've been up to Let's move away from <laughs> severed hands. Yeah. Let's move away from severed hands and evil villages where there are zombies or maybe not zombies we don't know yet what are we talking about today? So if you've listened to this podcast enough, you will be fully aware by now with my infatuation for Grey in D&D. <laughs> sure, there are good things and there are bad things and D&D campaigns can be made and thriving off those elements. It's always good if you have an angels versus demons war, your heroes are playing valiant paladins against the undead who clearly want to kill everybody or even hell, the, some of the most famous 
I'm just thinking supervillains in D&D are all things like liches and undead gods and demons and devils. But mm. there is joy in that middle ground, that sort of grey-esque, is it good or is it bad? The things that do bad things that aren't necessarily bad themselves just because they are wild or chaotic or just animalistic in how they deal with because sometimes those things in campaigns can be really really good fun they add an element of moral crisis to a player because you think oh this really bad thing is happening but i can see exactly why they're doing it and maybe actually it's for the greater good or whatever it might be Mm. exactly because of that i've always had a factuation with the Feywild. Some of my favorite campaign sort of plot arcs and sort of stories involve the Fey and the Feywild generally. It's an inner plane rather than an outer plane, so it can get in sort of to the material plane and into most campaigns at a much earlier point than a lot of the outer planes. If you've ever tried to put, for instance, the Nine Hells into a campaign of fifth level players, it can be very tricky because the Nine Hells tends to kill everybody that even looks at it mm-hmm. um, within a few hours. But the Feywild is something a little bit more nebulous and chaotic and closer to the material plane but a lot of the books that i've read over the years that involve the fey have been fantastic i'm thinking specifically of um Narelle and um jonathan strange and, and mm. like that oh. is just a, if you haven't read that book absolutely brilliant it is wonderful and luckily for us Unearthed Arcana popped up a little while ago with some playtest options for Folk of the Feywild, some mm. new options if you want to be playing characters that involve Feywild variations or tweaks on some of the races that have been put into D&D so far. Mm. So we're going to go through those. Exciting. Yeah, I think there's something amazing about the Feywild because I, I sort of come for it from a critical role standpoint where it's, again, incredibly beautiful, but anything beautiful must be dangerous. And that whole sort of like, you're not sure where you are because it feels so alien, but in a fantastical sense. So, yeah, absolutely. And these four races are incredibly intriguing. I guess, again, it comes back to, it's always my favourite word, with Tasha's coming out, <laughs> everything, <laughs> everything has changed. But again, I think they're just, it's allowing them to like, hey, you could be anything let's try with these different races that people I assume have been crying out for. I definitely have heard of people wanting to be owlbears or an owlbear folk. <laughs> Not so sure about the other three, apart from I believe the hobgoblin, but well, we've had hobgoblin races come out before, yeah, but yeah, yeah. Be, be interesting. It, it is. And I guess some people want to play characters or story arcs that they have read or seen on TV or something in a book that they have read and really, really enjoy. I get that totally. People who often jump into D&D, for instance, are huge Lord of the Rings fans or Harry Potter fans being two of the major sources that kind of drive people in and Mm -hmm. say, actually, you want to be a wizard because you want to be like someone from Hogwarts. And then you start looking at options to sort of tweak everything in such a way. I I get that totally. And the Feywild is one of these things. People just love it because uh, either you like unicorns and bright colors and you've always had an infatuation with sort of fairies and that sort of thing or even on the other side you you like the dark and mysterious almost british and scandinavian folklore of children going missing from gardens and coming back 50 years older missing an arm and stuff like that very resident evil-esque but there the Feywild has been a huge part of our culture for so long i can see why people are really excited to getting into this and yeah as i say one of these options for hobgoblins we've already had in a book Mm. and this is a new variation of it three new ones for us to look at here three different races three different places to to start a character the other thing sort of to point out, I guess, before we start is that it says like 
it talks about ability to score increases and it says like you can either increase one of your ability scores by two and one by one and you can choose you know you can follow that rule or you could do it as the quick build suggests from what i just quickly just checked there doesn't seem to be a quick build suggestion for, for nope. the so i guess because it's the, your character class so yes. that's why you put it onto them but just just a heads up that it doesn't matter what you could have uh say an owl folk barbarian or a wizard it doesn't matter you can still move us around and that's what i guess all these play tests uh, material coming up now it does say this thing at the top where it's like hey we're trying these things out we're trying to get rid of the idea of being fit into certain boxes and stuff so mm-hmm. yeah it's quite it's quite interesting to see that up the top but I guess yeah, for me, I was yeah, just like, oh, was, quick build. Oh, <laughs> like, exactly. The first thing on it, which was quite, yeah, interesting to see. We've spoken about this before, actually, in, in a previous episode, that that definitely is the way the wind is blowing with D&D at the moment, all about self-identification and not fitting into boxes, as you say. And mm. personally, I'm all for it because I used to despair with min-maxing. And whilst on the face of it, this does seem a bit min-maxy because effectively all of your characters are always geared up to have whatever mm. um, you know features that you want to like if you've got a wizard for instance you can always pick plus two intelligence regardless of what race you're playing mm. i do like the fact that everyone can now do that and there isn't that pigeonholing of oh you're playing a wizard you better be a high elf then because they're one of the few races with an intelligence bonus and and it kind of shoehorns people and now the doors are open because everybody can do this and i totally get that and appreciate that i i wouldn't be surprised if down the line there's more of a a push to actually fixing ability scores a little bit heavier to not having people roll for them i could see that being a if if the options here are everybody can pick plus two plus one or three plus ones whatever it is and they're just opening up everything i could see them trying to balance the game in different ways because you know it can skew how powerful a character is if you've rolled an 18 or if you've rolled a 14 as your highest stat this can make that a bit more extreme but interesting to see how that goes and, and personally i i'm all up for flexibility that this is I, I don't mind it personally it's it's good that's an interesting point you just brought up though like because the main draw i've always seen about character creation again not necessarily for me because i i think i find it's like the most boring part of character creation because i want to get on and get on with it yeah. people rolling for stats because people obviously get excited you know so you can do it as something physically and you can work out and stuff like that maybe going forward because obviously yeah with rolling stats there is the potential to be rolling negative stats and people will be like oh no etc but maybe this is maybe they're going to really push having like standard array or even point by to a certain extent with and get rid of it all i I actually hadn't considered that Mm. thinking about Mm. it it's Mm. one of those things that you either love it or you you hate it you'd you'd rather have those guaranteed stats or you'd you'd prefer to roll them out i've always rolled my characters and i think i always will i do quite like enforcing group roles in terms of campaigns it's something i kind of wish i'd enforced more at the beginning but when people roll for stats together Mm. so you have that different array but everyone has the same sort of base point because i think it is a variable thing you can be an Aubrey for instance your character on, on our campaign had yep. the most ridiculous stats and mm. that's utterly fine ultimately 150 sessions later it has made no difference to your no. enjoyment of it but it can be a sticking point I think for some people where they're like I had a 14 as my highest and you've got three 17s like mm. oh my god it's yeah. so I can see it but um yeah yeah by the by I guess yeah no no it's, it's true like but I I do distinctly remember that because I was like I was so happy to do it and i believe it was it was sam going i've already rolled and i was like oh okay 
might as, might as well then. I was like, oh, well, I've done all right, I think. I, I, I live in that fear. I'm going to roll really badly. But I, I did. I think that's the only time I've rolled incredibly well. I don't roll yeah. that often, so. All right, so where do you want to start? Which race do you want to look at first, then? So we are given four new race options to playtest effectively. It should be worth pointing out all unearthed arcana is playtest material. And because of that, <laughs> it can be deeply unbalanced. And some of these definitely are deeply unbalanced. But uh, very, exactly. But there are four to look at right now. Mm. There is actually a little bit of a catch to just keep an eye on with one of these races, mm. which is that one of these races is not a humanoid. Now that is extremely rare for a player. And we'll talk about some of the sort of things that may affect that later on. Mm. But there are four new ones to talk about. Theory, Hobgoblin of the Feywild, so not just a regular Hobgoblin, a Hobgoblin of the Feywild. Mm. It's very different to the one that was in Volos, I think. Yes. Owl Folk and mm. Rabbit Folk. Mm. So, fairies. Fairies are a bit like unicorns, I find. They divide people. <laughs> Either you love the shiny, happy horses with horns, or you think, here we go. Mm. Here we go. Fairies are... Uh, it's actually different depending on who you talk to in terms of fairies being quite important in the folklore of many countries. In Britain, for instance, fairies are often depicted to be very small, very cute things, maybe a hand's sort of high, little wings, magic dust, very Tinkerbell-esque from Japan. Mm. That tends to be sort of an idea of fairies. But Fairies are not necessarily like that uh, more sort of Scandinavian idea about fairies and fae folk generally is that they can be up to six foot tall. They can be regular people, but they are just people who live in the fairy world, the fae wild effectively. And they have almost elven features that have gone to an extreme. Now, mm. D&D is sort of plonked halfway between. They've gone for small, which is halfling or gnome size. So you're thinking sort of maybe two to four foot it's not tiny, so they do class as being pretty regular in size. Mechanically, small and medium creatures often share a lot of the same rules, and it's only when you get to tiny or below that it begins to get a little bit funny. Mm. But fairies can be very, very randomly built. Um, they describe them as being uh, fantastic peoples, wee folk, and generally having special physical characteristics. I have to say, some of the Unearthed Arcana, they, the, the language they use really makes me laugh because clearly mm. somebody's written it as, a, as something that works in their head and it hasn't gone through the many editing stages. 90% <laughs> of people won't get what you mean by we folk. That's a Scottish phrase, but mm -hmm. sure, it's, it's great. But the fairies can have anything from small wings that look like insects to glittering skin to... Smelling like fresh brown. I wrote that one down. I was like, <laughs> ooh, yeah, so this is a fae characteristics table. And they actually are a big fan of these tables of like rolling on them to give like an origin or to give you something that stands out from, I guess, a normal fairy. I don't know if I'd want to smell like fresh brownies or your hands never look dirty. Yeah. Like, I feel like that's like, that's like, it's like one of those um, parents evening reports like, oh, she's conscientious or she yeah. works well. <laughs> like you're like, oh, great. That's nothing. That means fuck all. Thank you. Thanks, Mrs. Natal. <laughs> you know, I was going to bring up that hands never look dirty one because that just, of all of the things I've seen written 
for characteristics in D&D thus far. That is the weirdest one because, oh my goodness, you could find some strange applications of that, like a fairy rogue that murders people and goes, but my hands are clean. Wasn't me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, God, yeah. Well, everything else covered in blood and muck, but the hand, like, you managed to keep them out of the water and they're just like, oh. Yeah, yeah. Or your fairy druid sheepishly emerging from a bush and everyone's like, what were you doing? And it's like, my hands are clean, it's fine. <laughs> just, I just find the whole thing. Interestingly, on the tables, I, this is something that I never, I never use a table ever. I, I tend to just have an idea in my head and run with it. But, you know, you're like me, you're a DM and, and you're used to having to make stuff up. And I think it's a skill that you just pick up after a while. But watching my wife make D&D characters, for instance, is a totally different experience because she she gets a little bit um, confused by the, the array of choices and likes mm. to narrow it Overwhelmed. down. Overwhelmed, yeah, absolutely. And she has this amazing technique where she will roll on these tables repeatedly until she gets an idea that she likes. Mm. So it's not random at all, but she'll roll on it and go, oh, no, I don't like that. Roll yeah. again. <laughs> no, I don't like that. Roll again yeah that'll do yeah and you sort of think well it's not quite just going down and picking so there's very an element of randomness to it but there it, it is really funny it's like you need that really sort fun. of maybe it's like a, a catalyst or like a prompt of like i don't have to think about it myself but i can judge mm. which is easier yeah no definitely like yeah I, i'm thinking like if i was rolling on it and yeah if i got smell like fresh brownies i'd be like i don't want that <laughs> i'll roll again definitely yeah but, yeah, yeah. But fairies, we're talking about mechanically, we've already discussed that all of these races have ability score increases and languages is another one that you can basically pick what they do. So there's nothing like that. But fairies are fae. They are not humanoids, which is interesting because some spells specifically affect humanoids, like, for instance, charm person. Mm. Now, to my knowledge, I don't believe charm person would work on fae. I believe they count as monsters. As a DM, you've got to make that choice pretty quickly as to whether or not you are a creature that is not affected by spells like that. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that really does come up of that is a lot of spells that affect humanoids and not fate tend to be a lot lower level. So some of your NPCs or villains, for instance, that have a bit of mind controlling ability to them, unless they have access to the higher level spells, they may be very useless against your player characters equally. That's a trait, and mm. you don't want to take that away from people. Maybe they pick that for a reason, but something to keep an eye on. They're small, they have a walking speed of 30 feet, and they have fairy flight, which means they can, not only can they hover, uh. but they have a fly speed, Fiona, yes. a fly speed equal to your walking speed. Now, interestingly, that's a new wording that I've, I've seen more increasingly that I didn't see at the beginning, where they just say you have a flying speed equal to your walking speed rather than saying you have a flight speed of X amount. Mm -hmm. And I think the reason they're doing that is because a lot of spells such as Expeditious Retreat, for instance, affect your walking speed, but not necessarily your flight. Mm. So they're now effectively just binding the two together mechanically so that if you've got something that increases your walking speed, it also increases your flight. Mm -hmm. I can see why they're doing that. That's fine. Fae Passage, I want to just quickly say, you can squeeze through a space as narrow as one inch wide. That is for a DM an absolute nightmare because your players are just going to end up being in the locked safe or the locked vault that you weren't expecting to uh, have them in. Like, oh, there's a locked chest. I go in the chest. You're like, ugh, <laughs> right, fine. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's okay. But, you know, if you want octopus abilities, that's great. Yeah. I can't blame you. I, I like the idea of sort of gelatinous, like boneless limbs. Oh. Like we just sort of... <laughs> 
into things and then exactly. yeah, seep into like a lock yeah absolutely yeah fade yeah. passage i did think was interesting again because in my head and just because the way i've been brought up like fairies are small they're almost like little beads of light so they would be tiny so that would make sense but i do feel fade passage does get around a lot of the problems and yet, like you said yeah if they're fae as well then they'll have certain resistances to certain spells but at the same time maybe they i guess for you as a DM, if you if they are going to use the the fairy to go first, who can also fly, then maybe just putting a lot more trapped rooms, which they suddenly can't get back from for I don't know reasons. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, what you do have is I mean, most locks on a door. If you've got a lock in your house that has a, a deadbolt key, one of these mm-hmm. old keys, that's more than an inch gap on the key, so they could just mm-hmm. whoop, straight through, or maybe even under a door. Yeah, um, would be another door. thing, or uh, uh, there's all kinds of trouble you can get up to. Um, but hey, that is what it is. Mm. Fairy magic is interesting because a lot of races have inherent magical spells that comes with it. So we've seen this a lot with elves and tieflings and other creatures that can cast spells inherently, and the fae are no different. Um, mm. the fairies can do this, they can cast druidcraft and fairy fire. Druidcraft is a crantrip, so you can do that as many times as you want. And I think only druids can actually cast that one. So mm. interesting choice. You want to put flowers on everything. That's the one for you. Hooray. Hooray. <laughs> Fairy fire is a very interesting spell. I believe it is level one. So it's mm. not incredibly powerful. And you can only cast it once per long rest. Mm. But there is an interesting thing as well. Two changes that they have made, which mechanically, again, is interesting. And you're seeing this more and more. Firstly, they're letting you pick the spellcasting ability to mm-hmm. intelligence, wisdom, and charisma. So if you basically are a spellcaster, you can pick whichever ones you use. I think that's part of the whole choose your own ability score thing, and it's yeah. totally to do with that. I quite like the change because it yeah. means that you're playing a race and, and your intelligence is 12, but your charisma is 20, but you have to use your intelligence to cast spells. It's always been a annoying exactly. thing, and especially with something like fairy fire, which is like a use it or lose it spell. Mm. You part, you know, you want it to work some of the time. Mm-hmm. So I quite like that. But they also have added a line that says you can also cast this spell using any spell slots you have. And that's something that I'm seeing more and more in how they're writing mm. the newer rules. And I like it as a change. If you are a seventh level druid, for instance, and you have fourth, third, second, and first level spell slots available to you, but you can only cast oh. fairy fire once because that's your long rest ability and you've got all of this magical ability like to hand. I've always thought it's strange that you can't then cast that spell repeatedly. Well, now you can. You can actually use spell slots of other classes in order to get around that. I like that change. It's a very good change and I hope that they continue to bring that in. As a DM as well, if a player came to me and said, actually, as part of my racial thing, I can use the spell. Can I use my other spell slots for it? I would be tempted to allow that, just like we have in our campaign. I've spoken about this before, um, a Warlock-Paladin hybrid. And again, using Pax Magic, the Paladin spells and Paladin spell slots, the Warlock spells are something you can absolutely do that is allowable. But if you can do that, then it seems to me that this is a fair usage as well. It's it's all mm. very similar. Yeah, so just in case, because I don't think we described what fairy fire actually does. So essentially every object within a range in a cube essentially is outlined in either blue, green, or violet light, your choice. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, every creature in the area uh, where the spell is cast is also outlined in light if it fails a dexterity saving throw. And then for the duration, which is a minute, these objects and affected creatures shed a dim light of 10 foot. So that means any attack roll against the creature will have advantage if the attack 
Tracker can see it, and the affected yep. creature uh, cannot be benefit from being invisible. So it's a very useful one if you need to light up an area, if you need to give advantage to your, uh, I was about to say colleagues, <laughs> your, your <laughs> companions to, in a fight. It's it's a very good spell. It doesn't uh, increase go. anything. It is an incredible spell. It is one of those spells that if you are playing a low-level character and you don't know what you should be doing, oh my goodness, pick that spell. It is mm. wonderful. Having advantage on any attack is brilliant because effectively you can fairy fire and watch as your archer and melee friends rush in and deal with the thing and go brilliant all of our things are advantage now this is fantastic and yeah it is it is a really really fun thing to do mm. i totally love the spell and yeah just just a very good spell sorry i, I just imagined it as sort of tinkerbelling to the extreme just like yeah. poof Fairy dust, yay! Yay! And now attack, <laughs> and now release the dogs of war, <laughs> just as they rush past you. <laughs> oh no, they're softly glowing. Now we can kill it. <laughs> it's a really nice idea. This fairy race in general, I think it's like it's interesting, it's different. But my my sticking point is always being being able to fly when you're a low level character. It makes sense for obviously if you've got wings and stuff like that. But this combined with fate passage. And, and being small as well to an extent, I guess, you can get in places, you can ruin more things for the DM, I guess. So a little, a little more a, thought about it, yeah. <laughs> Where we live, uh, so we live up in the Lake District, and whenever you're looking at walks, there are different ways you can you can grade a walk. Like if it has lots of scrambling, then it might be like a high scramble grade, or maybe it's just really steep. So you're like, okay, that's like 20% gradient, avoid that one. Often you get like a bog factor, like this is a decent walk, <laughs> but it's really sticky. So you're going to walk through miles of like wet, soggy puddle and peat. So do you want to do that? I, I think in that same respect, fairies are high on the category of could potentially ruin your day as a DM. And it falls back to you've all got that one player you play with that is likely to be more jokey or silly than others. And this may be not the race for them, but equally there are a lot of players who you would trust. And I think it would be absolutely fine. There's a lot of potential here, but it's not, it's not inherently broken. No. Um, there are lots of spells that provide the same abilities, but keep an eye on it. If you're looking at written adventures compared to homebrew as well, any older adventures, I say older, like five years ago, they would have been written not necessarily thinking about what other races there could be. Like certainly if you think of earlier ones like uh, like the Rise of Dragons or the, or the Tiamat one, the ones really early on, they weren't expecting ones with people with fly speeds that could fly for as long as they need to. So probably no Aracroca or anything like that. So taking those races and putting them back in, so places, even Curse of Strahd to an extent, which we're playing, there's, you have to be, a, as a DM, just have a little think about like, okay, some challenges might be a lot easier because they have certain innate abilities. So rather than punishing the players, it's more like, okay, how can you challenge them even further than just adding on that? So that's the only thing I'd say with written yeah. adventures is like, do a little bit of research We'll read them beforehand, obviously, but also like, mm. don't be surprised if in the first couple of times you're like, oh yeah, of course they're going to defeat that because they have this innate ability, which is no yeah. fault of the players, but they won't know. Um, and they probably would really enjoy it as well. It's not necessarily a bad thing watching your things get foiled repeatedly because actually players do enjoy succeeding. Um, mm. This is one of those things I come across with um, our high level campaign. Sometimes you can throw things in that should be a challenge and within a couple of rounds is dealt with and everyone's like, well, that was an easy encounter. And you think, wow, that was a deadly encounter, but fine. 
but that's not something to, to punish people on. That's actually, they're enjoying the characters. They're enjoying doing really well. There is a very satisfying thing where you're like, oh my God, we took that apart efficiently. God, we're good. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can always come back another day. So yeah. it's... And you never know when, I don't know, a door fools them or a riddle fools them for a little bit. It, can lit- it might not yep. be the big combat. It could be literally the tiniest obstacle where you take 20 minutes to talk about. (laughs) But that is fairies, and we Mm. have three other ones to get through, so shall we crack on? Please, please, what is next? Hobgoblins of the Feywild. That's a very, very important thing. Because (laughs) Hobgoblins have been in D&D, and they're actually in published material already. I believe it is Volo's Guide. I think so, um, too. With a lot of the monster races, along with other things like like bugbears are in there and goblins mm. and Cobbles. i think yeah full-blooded orcs stuff like that yeah hobgoblins of the feywild are interesting hobgoblins are also monsters in uh, the sort of player's handbook and they have very annoying abilities that they essentially can gang up on you in packs and deal hugely increased damage to you on a hit and i think they tried to Avoid that with the published version of Hobgoblins. And again, we've almost done the same thing with this, but we've tweaked it a little bit. And I quite like some of the changes here that they've made. Hobgoblins, uh, they are sort of taller, stronger versions of goblins. And they are famed for their military prowess and organizational abilities. So in some, it mentions in the Forgotten Realms, you get whole communities of hobgoblins that form incredibly capable martial settlements and they form fantastic mercenary armies and generally are a pretty considerable threat because they're organized and clever and ruthless Mm. so a lot of that comes sort of with the territory they're medium they're humanoid and they have a walking speed of 30 feet they also get 60 foot of dark vision so nothing particularly exciting there Mm. they pick up fey ancestry which is so far reserved for elves and half elves which Mm. gives you advantage on saving throws that you make to avoid or end the charmed condition on yourself this is always a really interesting one for a DM to police. Now, I've had a half-elf in the party before, and I've never found mm. a useful way of going about this one. Because sometimes you're like the big scary bad guy. It does a spell or an effect on you. Make a wisdom saving throw and say it fails, nothing happens. You don't really want to give away your hand too quickly. You want that suspense and you want that thing of like, if you if you succeed, sorry, if you succeed on, that, on a saving throw and nothing happens, you kind of want to go, oh, well, I now know everything about that effect. Well, no, not necessarily. Mm. You know, the DM wants to keep a little bit of stuff in their hands, some cards to wind the players up with later. And that thing of having advantage with saving throws, if it's got the charmed effect, you have to sort of be like, make a wisdom saving throw. You get it with advantage. It kind of gives away what this is. <laughs> but, um, but but there you go. And, and so I've never, if you know of a better way to police that one, maybe you're better DM than I am. But I, I just... I've never quite figured that one out. No, I, I definitely not. I think key thing to remember for this particular fantasy, I guess it's not tied to it, but it's always something I've always associated with it is those people who had fantasy before is obviously, like you said, it is advantage or saving for us to make avoid or end the charm effect or condition on yourself. And then usually there is the caveat at the end of the, and you can't be magically put to sleep. And mm-hmm. obviously that's not here. And of course I realise that's not necessarily tied ancestry it just happened to be in all the sort of i think it's high elves and stuff like that isn't it yeah so. anything um, to do with elf i think because they trance rather than sleeping yeah. so they don't actually sleep so um, I th- I hobgoblins think, do yeah yes yeah, so i think that's just the key thing because i think a lot, i certainly was like oh it's not 
it's not part of fate because I just assumed it was. So I think if your players are playing hobgoblins, they might be like, "Oh, but you can't magically put me to sleep." You can. <laughs> yeah. You just you, obviously because they don't trance. So I just think just that's just one key thing to remember about that. Absolutely. I, I would have forgotten that otherwise. Absolutely. Fey gift again brings mm. a new mechanic which we are seeing a lot more in published material. And again, I quite like this one. And it's the uses number of times equal to your proficiency modifier plus uh, you know per long rest. Sometimes they were using spellcasting modifiers. Sometimes you were using other sort of mechanics, but I quite like the proficiency one. It means low-level characters don't get to use it much, and high-level characters get to use it a lot. But Fey Gift kind of employs that hobgoblin military aspect of being able to attack in packs and gives you the ability to use the help action as a bonus action, a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So normally the help action is a full action, You've got to be five foot within the target. You are using the help action and the next attack on that target is at advantage. Being able to use that as a bonus action means that you can still attack your turn. You don't get advantage on your own attacks. That's very important to, to point out, but your allies will get advantage on the first attack. Very useful, that one, but limited to number of times per proficiency bonus. In addition, if you use the help action either as a bonus action or as an action, so you can still take your full action to use it in this way, you effectively get to pick one of three different options. Either you can give you and the targets of your help action number of temporary hit points equal to 1d6 plus your proficiency bonus. It's a little tweak, little bonus, but... Mm -hmm helps in longer helps. fights mm -hmm. um so that you know the, the paladin stood beside you getting temporary hit points it means that you both get a little bit of toughness to stand there for a bit longer passage which means that you both get an extra 10 feet of walking speed or flying speed if you're a fairy don't forget at all at all stacks up <sighs> or spite which means until the start of your next turn the first time you're the target of your help action hits a creature with an attack roll that creature has disadvantage on the next attack roll that it makes within the next minute again that's a fun tanky one if you've got a hobgoblin that is imposing disadvantage on a big boss it can be very good and very helpful at keeping your party together so mm. very useful things that um i, I think a couple of them kind of sound a little bit like some of the bardic flourishes that the yes. bard of swords has, but some different and interesting things. And having help as a bonus action, I think the only other thing that I can think of that does that is, I believe, the mastermind rogue, which has a very similar ability that they can effectively help people from 30 feet away with a bonus action. So don't forget, you need to still be at melee range. So this is definitely a melee class thing, mm. but very useful. Yeah, no, I think it's nice to have, like you said, three different options with sort of healing, escape, and fighting. I don't like the word hospitality. I think they really struggled to think think of anything that wasn't like healing. I guess mm. I think, and again with the, the the combat on spite, I think they didn't want to make it like um attack or, or something like that, which I think I think they're trying to be very careful with their wording here. So that it's like because I, I would assume, again, me being a player, you would always use spite. The amount of times you use passage, for example, I think that's when you know you're overwhelmed as a player. I, I would say it's very rarely, it's like a last resort sort of thing. Hospitality mm. is probably quite good, you know, getting that extra temporary hit points. But correct me if I'm wrong, because I always get this wrong. Mm. If I was going to use it twice each turn, would it be, would the temporary hit points stack or would it just replace them? You wouldn't be able to use, uh, well, actually, no, you would, because you could use an action and a bonus action in theory. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> temporary hit points are like a lot of things in D&D where if you've got multiple sources of temporary hit points, only the best one affects you. So if you have five temporary hit points and then you roll seven, 
you would then end the turn with seven. Right. Um, equally, if you rolled seven and then rolled five, you would still have seven. seven. It doesn't add up. Um, you only get the, the greatest effect. And actually, that rule applies for a lot of D&D. If you have two things that affect the same thing, mm -hmm. then in theory, they don't stack. Only the greater effect hits you. So if you get a D4 for uh, ability checks, for instance, and a D6 for ability checks, in theory, you can't use them both. Right. It's one of those rules that doesn't get policed that often because, yeah. you know, it's one of those things. But it stops a lot of the broken mechanics from sort of stacking, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so then I would say I, I can imagine using the hospitality maybe first off, perhaps, but ultimately always sort of defaulting to the spite one, just because mm -hmm. it's it's quite beneficial, you know, like, yeah, because obviously you've got two, your, your target of your help actually hitting a creature with an attack roll, so that's two chances to hit a creature, and then they have disadvantage, so yeah, I, I would see that being used more often, but I think it's, it's good to have that, I, I kind of like, like I said, it's an interesting way to use, because I feel like maybe bonus actions, for certain maybe classes it's even spell or something small like i i know i struggle as a barbarian i'll be like okay rage now what oh, i'll keep yeah. raging <laughs> which yeah. is which is fine because that's what how i built it but i'm like is there anything else i would like to do yeah. no absolutely so. absolutely it's, it's it's a really good use of it definitely some classes have a distinct lack of bonus actions and this is easily something you could do with it um mm. one other thing that they have which is called fortune from the many this is very much like the saving face uh, mm. ability that I think they had before. Basically, if you miss with an attack roll or fail an ability check, you can draw on the bonds of reciprocity. I just, I just, the oh. idea of this, it, it just, you basically just draw on the power of friendship. Usually, <laughs> what this is yep. to uh, gain a plus one bonus to that roll for every ally within 30 feet of you. Really good if you're in a big party, not so good if you're on a solo campaign, but yep. you know, that is what it is. Number of times equal to your proficiency bonus, you can do that until a long rest. So very similar to that. So effectively, if you're in a party of six and you're all bunched up next to each other, you could give yourself up to a plus five bonus mm -hmm. on an attack, ability check, or saving throw. I didn't mention that first time, saving throw to make it pass effectively. And that's using a reaction to do that one. Oh, reaction. Yeah. So that's very, very useful as well. Yeah. Just being able to, to do that. And yeah, like obviously allies, obviously that could be people in your party. It could be any NPCs you've picked up. So I think we talked about this last time when this sort of, this came up. It's like the idea that you are on your own, but you're like, Hey, does anyone else want to come with me? And would you say we're friends? <laughs> like, yeah, and just yeah. have that. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just reading this again. And it doesn't actually say reaction in it at all. I, I oh. just assumed it would. And that's, that's, so in theory, I, you can use this multiple times per turn. That's strange. I think that's probably I, a miss typo. I on that think one. it must, it has to be a reaction, right? Because, yeah, it's like, otherwise, you are, if you constantly miss, you can only use it up to your proficiency bonus if it's like yeah. lower level. So yeah. you, you you could burn all of this in one turn effectively if you mm. wanted to. Okay, interesting that. I would have assumed it was reaction, but there we go. Yeah, I guess you, you're hitting quite hard on your first attack or something. So. Yeah, yeah. This yeah. is a Nova build for your paladin to get all those smites in. That's uh, not a bad <laughs> thing. We're moving on, though, and mm -hmm. we are going to now go for fluffy... Owly Arakokra, the owl folk. <laughs> These are effectively Arakokras based instead of hawks and eagles. They're based on big, fluffy, giant owls. And they are uh, huge and fluffy or small and fluffy, but they're always wide wings and majestic. I love the idea that they're all majestic. I love that. Um, they have arms and legs. They basically are humanoids that just look a little bit like owls and have very matted, stealthy feathers, which gives mm. them an element of well, it should give them an element of stealth. We'll go into that in a second. But they are humanoids. You can be either medium or small. Interesting, mm -hmm. that one. So actually, you get to choose 
walking speed is uh, 30 feet and they have a dark vision of 90 feet i saw that yeah which is different because normally at 60 or in some occasions 120 i've never seen 90 before mm. i think they kind of were like well we want it to be a little bit better than normal dark vision because owls because owls, owls can yeah. see in the dark quite clearly <laughs> But they didn't want to go the full whack. I don't know why they didn't go 120. 90 it is. Mm. Um, so that's great. Magic sight is an interesting one. You can cast as a ritual detect magic. Mm. Anything that uses, I've, I've never seen ritual casting introduced as a race ability. Mm. So that's interesting. If you don't know what ritual casting is, it basically means you can use a spell as many times as you want, but you add 10 minutes to the casting time. So you have to basically just spend 10 minutes just amongst yourself ritual casting something. But a class that can permanently see magic, in that, that is insanely useful, especially if you are a rogue or something that is stealthing ahead uh, and you want to be able to detect traps or invisible creatures or whatever. Like it is incredibly useful. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something. Yeah, I'd say I'd say again, just just for the benefit, like detect magic is always one of those spells that comes up, but we, we always have to double check because what does it mean? So it's, it's a level one uh, divination spell. For the duration, you sense the presence of magic within 30 feet of you. If you sense magic in this way, you can use your action to see a faint aura around any visible creature or object in the area that bears magic, and you learn at school of magic, if any. And it can penetrate most barriers, but it's blocked by one foot of stone, one inch of common metal, a thin sheet of lead, or three feet of wood or dirt. So it's it's interesting because we always have to go, well, how how big is it? Mm. Okay, is there is there any dirt? <laughs> is there any any metal or stone? Yep, yep, yeah, exactly. So always worth keeping that spell in mind if you're a DM. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not not an overpowered one, but it's definitely a very useful it's ability. A nice little radar, one. yeah, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Nimble flight again, your favorite. You now have a flying <sighs> speed equal to your walking speed. Hooray. Hooray! But this one is actually better than the fairy ability because you can use your reaction to make a dexterity saving fairy DC 10. Mm. Just don't bother with it if it's DC 10, it's very low. That one, um, but but sure, uh, to stop falling and fly in place until the start of your next turn if you fall. So if anything knocks you prone, effectively, it's very badly worded, but if you get knocked prone or you start to fall or anything trips you up, then you can use your reaction to fly and hover in place instead. Useful, that one. Um, Reaction as well. Interesting. mm, Yeah. Basically, nothing can, you can't be knocked off things and you can't be, you know, made prone if you don't want to and you have your reaction with Mm. you. The last thing is something called silent feathers. You have proficiency in the stealth skill. For something that was built on stealth, I think they could have gone way more extreme with this one. I think having proficiency in stealth is interesting, but if you're using an owl folk because you want to play a stealthy class, you're already going to have stealth. Rogues have stealth, for instance, and can gain um, expertise in stealth. Mm -hmm. A lot of things can give you bonuses like plus 10 to stealth um like you know um the spell pass of that trace um Mm -hmm. visibility gives you advantage on stealth so just having proficiency to me feels a little bit weak yeah um i think they probably could have come up with something a little bit more exciting maybe a bonus to your proficiency or like giving you expertise and you can use it um up to your proficiency modifier or something like that but, yeah. you know, proficiency in stealth means that if you're playing a class that doesn't get stealth, like a wizard or a druid or something, uh, then now you can actually stealth around and stealth with the best of them. So mm. it's useful, but not as crazy as maybe it could have been. You probably wouldn't, maybe it would overpower it completely, but having something like Path Without a Trace, which helps, gives a boost to stealth, maybe something like that, or a weaker version of that, perhaps, because obviously you've already got Detect Magic, which is pretty, pretty useful anyway as a spell, but having... Passive Trace, which does help with stealth and 
maybe just for yourself i don't know like yeah you're right i feel like owls in general because they are just there you never see them and then they attack and they just pick pick their prey from the ground yeah you think either having either double stealth or double proficiency in stealth or something like that yeah mm. it should be something a bit more i agree with that and from one animal hybrid to another now so owl folk obviously owl people and now we have rabbit folk which are rabbit people Very good. um <laughs> They actually have hair in, in descriptions of one of the things, and hares and rabbits are very different animals. So what they're going for here, I don't know. <laughs> uh, actually, beast folk is an idea that has been in D&D for a little while, and certainly I know is in uh, mock humans and, and uh, high rollers, uh, sort of homebrewed content. But rabbit folk are effectively long-limbed, bouncy people who are fate touched in that way but have the spirit of freedom and movement and everything they do mm. some some nice ideas here actually um if you can get past the sort of slightly fairy-esque visage of, of some of these <laughs> things or maybe mm. even um just sort of like a like a rabbit ears hat that you get in lots of computer games or, oh, yeah. burgers or something like Absolutely. that i don't know yeah they are humanoids they can be medium or small again that choice is interesting and walking speed of 30 feet but here we get some interesting things mm. hair trigger gives you proficiency bonus in your initiative roles so you know you you are quick off the mark that is very handy especially if you were a barbarian or somebody that gives you advantage on initiative mm. very cool that one leprine senses you have proficiency in perception skill mm. interesting again lucky footwork if you fail a dexterity saving throw you can use your reaction to roll a d4 and add it to the result a useful thing no limit on that one just use your you know reaction and you can get That's a little true. bit more dexterity saving throw so it's not a huge boost but it's a small boost it's like a bless on you mm -hmm. and then a very interesting one which i think is one of those things where uh, yeah this no. is why i find it a little bit annoying rabbit hop once during each of your turns when you walk at least five feet you can hop rolling a d12 and moving that many feet in a direction of your choice this extra distance does not cost movement if you can hop only if your speed isn't zero so effectively you have a walking speed of 30 mm. but every turn as long as you're moving and as long as you can move it's either 30 to 42 mm -hmm. because you roll a d12 and you get that many more feet yes you hop but i'm assuming hopping isn't going to be an issue unless you've got a very specific situation where the ground is very precise about how you move here's the thing having to roll <laughs> anything every turn can get very annoying if you every turn you have to roll a d12 and work out how many feet you've got it's a pain. Mm -hmm. Most D&D as well works in five foot maps. It's yeah. just a thing, right? You either move five feet or you don't. You move 10 feet or you move five feet or you don't. It's just, it's just how D&D works. It's how it's always worked. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having to move eight feet on your turn and then having your DM try and remember that is really annoying. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I wish they would have just moved the walking speed to 35 or 40 feet. And just be done with it. I guess they were like, oh, well, we need to make it something because it, it's rabbits. They, they hop everywhere. And you're like, yeah, you don't have to. I, I guess because with all these things, like we're thinking about the owl folk or rabbit folk, all these things like, well, they have certain features and we want them, you know, use these features and shine through it. I, I like, I'm thinking like, you know, the hair trigger, so they're all quick off the mark. I think that makes sense. Lucky footwork, that makes sense. The rabbit heart, just like, it's just too much. You've hammered it home at this. These are rabbits. We get it. Like, yeah, yeah. You know, you could destroy bouncy creatures. You can make it as like um just flavor anyway that they they are just that when they when they're walking they're just doing a gentle hop or a skip in general because that's that's what they do. So uh, yeah, yeah I, I I love a good D twelve as you know Ryan, but 
only when I'm only when I'm, only when I'm doing damage, I would find it really irritating because I'd be like, oh right, and now I'm gonna roll. I've rolled an extra one, so I do yep. a quick hop at the like. Yeah, I, I think it's absolutely pointless. Yep, <laughs> totally great, totally great. And I would change that personally. But there we go. There are your four faith like races, and actually some really intriguing abilities being brought in here. They really are pushing some different stats and different ideas. I, I quite like them. There's definitely some that I think work better than others, but. Really good options are. Is there one particular one that if you could only play one of these uh, braces, which one would you go for? I quite like the idea of how the hobgoblins sync up with things. Mm. The help action is quite an intriguing one. Mm. Um, and I like anything that stops you from missing because we've all been there. You have your one heroic moment where you use all your abilities and you miss on it. And it's like, hey, it's my turn gone. Especially at low level, that could be something that really helps. But yeah, I, I know. I, I quite like all of them, to be fair. I think they all, with a bit of tweaking, could could be easily published into into the regular play material, I think. I think out of all of them, I would go for an owl folk. But just because there is a, it's a setting that's come out called Humblewood, where it's all <laughs> animal-based, but they yeah. don't they don't yeah. fly. Or you've seen it, like the picture of the very cute owl looking up, but they're a paladin, that sort of thing. I, I would definitely get rid of it. And I would actually remove Nimble Flight from that as well. I, I think it's more fun as a humanoid but looks like an owl because i think that would just be hilarious yeah, uh, just yeah, to play absolutely. that mm-hmm. absolutely and i think the only other thing i was going to add was that i, I love the idea going back to it the, the sort of magic site stuff seeing things that aren't there or being able to see things that aren't there that reminds me so much of like when cats stare at something in the corner and you're like what are they doing and they're like i see the entire void <laughs> they will attack and so mysterious and that's what i think with the owl folk that's what you do you just like big eyes going <gasps> There's so many magic here. (laughs) I see deep into your soul and I see your core. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. Thank you for taking us through four very, very different races and obviously, (laughs) you know, fairy wild and all sorts. It's 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 nice to see DD like trying out these things. Like I said, Mm. they're doing a lot more unearthed arcana and they are asking for feedback. So if you do play these characters and you want to give feedback, there is a survey somewhere uh, on the Wizards of the Coast website. Ryan, is there anything you'd like to plug? Anything you've been up to? What's the new with you? Oh, well, you can always come and say hello. I've got a Discord, the Ursa Ryan Discord, or Turd for short. You should come and check it out because we've got a great community there and we do talk about a lot of D&D, so come over and say hello. And I, I hate the fact it's called Turd. <laughs> I don't know, you why? can't say I think but it's, it's the Ursa Ryan Discord. Yes, like, I, what, what I understand the... why it's called Turd. <laughs> I think that was really immature of you. It's an acronym. Immature, right. <laughs> I'm immature. Right, my name is Fiona. I run the What Am I Rolling podcast. It's a twice-monthly RPG one-shot podcast. As always... It's going very well. Very well, uh, very well. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I, was, I wasn't even going to ask, I just assumed. No, you just assumed. Um, yes, we've uh, The Land of Eam is now out. Uh, it was very fun to edit. Would recommend that if you like high fantasy stuff. We've also got a uh, field guide to memories. That's coming out at some point. I'm still recording that. And I actually, because we did it a little bit last time, Ryan, we did um, some backstory exercises. I actually went and went back and did some more for What Am I Rolling? So if you're interested in listening to more of that, go to What Am I Rolling and check those out and see how I crumble to pieces over the simplest of uh, writing prompts. So all good. (laughs) Amazing stuff. I love it. Well, until next time, friends, thank you for listening. And we will be uh, here still soon. Uh, Yes. I'm not in the Fey Wild. We'll be trapped behind the mirror. Please come ah, save us. Save us. <laughs> See you later. Bye. Bye.